good news is I guess I, I learned my lesson. I'm not wearing my cowboy boots this morning. So. <laughs> um, stayed upright the whole way in. It was, it was, it was, it was fun. Uh, we'll, we'll take the win where we can get it, right? We are uh, in a season, uh, the season of Advent. Advent simply means, or just to be understood as, uh, a season of anticipation, right? We are looking toward Christmas. And so what we're doing as a church is we're preparing for Christmas. As we're in this season of anticipation, we're saying, God, what is it that you want to do in us as we wait, right? May this not be a time of just simply passing time or, or just rushing to Christmas and wishing days away and, and kind of like marking off the Advent calendar and, and, and kind of running to Christmas. So it's saying in this season of preparation, in this season of anticipation, God, what is it that you're teaching us? God, what is it that you want to do in us in this season? And so we're framing that as we kind of move through these next few weeks, as we get closer and closer to Christmas, we're framing that um, in the understanding there are some, a handful of choices that I think are important for us to make as we enter into this season of anticipation or as we experience this season of, of anticipation. So last week we talked about the choice that we are faced with to, to choose hope. Right, to look at um, in the darkness of night, to understand that the dawn is breaking, to understand that, that things that, that maybe are challenging or that, that, are, that are difficult or that are setbacks, that are frustrations, those kinds of things are, are temporary realities as, as, the, as the, the new day is dawning. And it was um, interesting and fun uh, for us this, this past week on Monday uh, the power went out in our house. Did anybody else experience this? <laughs> and um, so, so we, 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 I come home from work, I come home from the office, and, and the lights are, are off, right? The whole neighborhood is dark, and I walk in the door, and um, our youngest daughter, Olivia, who's up there running slides for us this morning, um, she said, uh, Dad, isn't it interesting that you talked about darkness yesterday, and then now our power's out? And <laughs> I'm like, Interesting. We'll, we'll, we'll go with that word because that's, you know, maybe a little more sanctified than um, maybe what I was actually thinking at that moment. But um, the, <laughs> um, <clears throat> interesting, right? Uh, but, but the reality is we actually had a chance to discuss this as a family as we were trying to figure out, you know, what are we going to, to do about dinner? And now we have to go to the storage unit, the, you know, the lights and lanterns that we had that are, you know, we, we thought maybe we should bring over before the, you know, the, the, the potential of power going out would happen as we go over to our storage unit and get the stuff that we actually needed and, and all those things. Um, we had, a, had an opportunity to have some conversation. And I said, isn't it interesting? Because last week we talked about choosing hope. We talked about understanding that um, you make decisions differently when you understand that this is a temporary reality, that it's not, a, not, not the permanent situation, that our circumstances aren't permanent. I said, we're not like going home and chopping up the, the kitchen table and, and burning it to stay warm, right? We're not making these kind of like drastic decisions. We know the power will come back on. <clears throat> Right? This is not a permanent thing. And so for us as a family, we got to spend some time talking about the way that we operate differently, the way that we make choices differently when we have hope, when we choose hope. So for us, that was kind of this like tangible expression of what, of what that looks like. And so we talked about choosing hope. And this week, we're, um, we're looking at, I think maybe for some of us, this might be a harder choice. For some of us, choosing hope is hard, right? For, for some of us, that's a, that's a very, very difficult thing to, to choose that kind of like optimistic uh, way of looking at things or to, to understand that the things that we're facing are, are just temporary. Those setbacks that, that feel like they're permanent uh, are just temporary. This week, we're talking about the choice um, of choosing love. Right? For some of us, that's a hard thing because that's a heart thing. 
Um, and, and as we kind of spend time in this passage, as we spend time looking at what love actually looks like, um, in, through the lens of Christmas, through the lens of, of what Christ has done for us, that we start to realize that, that there's a lot of layers to it. And there's more to it maybe than what uh, we'd like to choose or what we, would, what we would kind of lean into right out of the gate. So the first Christmas, people were in anticipation, right? That, that there was this, this thing that had been awaited, that the, the people of God had been waiting for the Messiah, and so as they, as they anticipated, they, they, they weren't just anticipating Christmas like we would anticipate Christmas and presents and, and all those kinds of things. They were anticipating a revolution, right? They were anticipating a, a, a complete upheaval of the political system as it was to, to understand that the world was going to be different. Once the Messiah showed up, it was going to change everything. And so here's a people not just anticipating Christmas, not just anticipating those, those kinds of things that we have the privilege on this side of Christ's birth to understand but these are a people that were waiting for a revolution. And so for us to, to look at this, to, to understand that there's a connection between this anticipating a revolution and hope, right? Because they would go through their lives and they'd be, they'd be experiencing difficult things. They'd be experiencing persecution. They're experiencing the, like the lack of political influence. They're experiencing all those kinds of things, hoping and waiting for the Messiah to show up. And so in, in, in that moment, to, for them to choose hope was, was, was something that was... Um, potentially something you could wrap your head around, something they could wrap their head around. The, the connection between waiting for the revolution and waiting for hope, I think it's harder to understand the connection between the revolution, waiting for the revolution, and love. Or for them to understand, for us to understand the connection of, of this anticipation with love. But love was at the heart of the revolution, right? Love was at the, at the, at the core of what God was actually doing in the midst of, of this thing, that, that love was what drove Jesus to take on flesh. Love was what, what compelled Jesus to, to take on flesh and, and dwell among us. Love is what sustained the movement that we call Christianity, the, the movement that we now sit 2,000 years later as a, as a privileged part of. The early Latin writer, uh, Tertullian of Carthage, said that there was, there was one thing that converted him to Christianity, right? This is a guy who was writing centuries ago, looking at the church, saying, look, I had, I had looked at the arguments, I had heard the arguments, I had, I had heard all those things come my way, and um, I had, had not been convinced by the arguments because every argument that was made, I had, I had a response for, right? Every argument that was made by these Christians, I had some sort of reply for, I had a, a way of understanding or a way of, of arguing it in a, in a, in a way that, that helped me believe I had it figured out. He said, I had a counterpoint for every argument that they would present. And he says this, uh, but they demonstrated something I didn't have. Uh, the thing that converted me to Christianity was the way they loved each other, right? That love was not just the, the thing that compelled Christ to, to take on flesh, but love was the thing that sustained a movement that, that made this movement of Christianity attractive to people who would otherwise be argumentative, people who would have stood in opposition to the, the movement called Christianity. Now, being drawn in, not just by the way they're loved, but by the way they watch people love each other. And so here we are, as a people, remembering with anticipation, as a people anticipating Christmas, uh, we have a choice to make. And it's a choice of choosing love. The, the problem is, the problem is, as, as a culture, as a, as a people, we are in a, in a culture that's wrapped up with, under, with, with love, right? They're, they're obsessed with love. We are obsessed with love. We're surrounded by people who are desperate for love. 
so much so that uh, they, they, they have um, made up their own definition. Our culture has made up a definition of love that, that sounds unconditional, that says you can't argue with people about, about who they are. You can't argue with people about the, the way that they're behaving and all those kinds of things because we're supposed to love unconditionally. And so we're, we're kind of swimming in a culture that, that speaks of unconditional love, of, of loving people right where they are, but uh, failing to love them where they, to where they should be. Um, to, for us to, as, a, as a people to have allowed culture to define love as something that, that's just an individual expression, right? It's, it's what does this actually look like to the individual or, or for the individual rather than something that, that unifies us, that, that draws us together. And so here we are operating, talking about choosing love, and we bring into this conversation, we bring into, you know, even as we spend time in this text, we bring in this cultural understanding of love. Now, we're trying to operate within this incomplete framework that that the church, that, that what God has done in us is, is something better, that offers us something better. But we have to make a choice, right? There's this gravitational pull culturally, there's gravitational pull kind of because of who we are that takes us in a different direction, so we have a choice. Actually, we have a couple choices to make. One is the choice in how we relate to God. Are we going to allow God's love to be a transforming presence in our lives in, in, in a world that, that rejects the need for transformation in a world that, that rejects that we might actually be called to something better than what is. We, we have a choice in how we relate to each other. Will we allow love to be the thing that drives us um, in a unified sense, in a world that, that values the individual, that, that, that would, would emphasize individual over community, in a world that's so easily offended, right? in a world that's so prone to give up on people. And so Jesus' birth offered and ushered in a revolution. Jesus' birth offered us an opportunity to love in a radically countercultural kind of way, to love in a way that draws people in, to, to love to a love that, that holds us together as a community and to a love that moves us forward together. So Romans chapter 15, Paul writing to the church saying, this is what we believe and this is what what it looks like for us to live out what we believe in a world that, that may not fully understand who we are and what we're called to. Uh, Romans chapter 15, we're going to be spending time in the first seven verses of this passage, of this, of this chapter. The, um, there's a shift that happens right at the beginning of Romans chapter 15. If you're looking at the, the end of chapter 14, moving into chapter 15, Paul is, is describing the Christian life, and he's, he's speaking in individual terms in chapter 14. And then when the, at, at the chapter break, not that the chapter break existed when Paul wrote the letter, but at the, at the point that the chapter is broken in the Bible that, that, that we have now, it moves to a set of plural pronouns. It starts to speak of this is how it looks for us, and this is what it looks like for, for, for us to do the, these things, for for the way that we operate as a we. And so in verse 1, it says this, uh, we who are strong ought, ought to bear with uh, the failings of the weak uh, and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good and to build them up. Paul speaking of probably more than one kind of weakness. I think for, for most of us, we, we, we see weak and we think, well, that, that might be someone who's, who's unable to provide for themselves or someone who, who doesn't have the capacity to, to provide for their families or they, they don't have kind of like physical power to actually move something or whatever that looks like to, to understand weakness. But Paul could be talking about something broader and deeper than that, talking about not just physical needs, that, that, that is part of it, but he could be speaking of spiritual needs as well, this, this sense of a, a spiritual weakness, this spiritual atrophy uh, that's maybe marked by a simple, unreflected, untested faith, a faith that, that doesn't actually do anything in their lives, that, that, that it's, it's, it's weak, spiritually speaking. Or maybe we could be talking about this, this spirituality, this, this weakness that, 
that just is marked by a lack of progress, right? That there's no growth, that it's not, it's not moving forward. And so Paul, looking at this community, saying it, it could be, right? It could be that there are people who are, who are lighting up on the things of God, who are growing quickly, who, who maybe we could, could, could possibly be leaving others behind, spiritually speaking. He says, look, it's our job, right? We're in this together. We're not going to just run ahead and leave people behind for, for those who are weak, for those who need help moving forward. Um, bear with their failings. And then he says, and each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to, ple- to, to, to build them up, um, to understand that we're not just pleasing our neighbors to make us look good, right? We're not just pleasing our neighbors or, or making people around us happy to, to make ourselves feel better about ourselves, but to say to, to please people, to, to help people, to, to help people move forward in a way that's for their good, right? It's not just to, to make them feel good about who they are, to make them feel good about where they are, but to say, for your good, for your good, you who are, who are weak, who are, who are possibly behind me in the journey, who, or who God has placed in front of me as a, as a person to walk with, as a person to help move forward, that for your good, right? Not for my benefit, not for the, the, my sake, but, but for your sake, I'm going to help you move forward. This is for your good. That it's not just even about what we do, but it's about why we do it. That, that the motives that we have, that the goals that we have, that, that the relationships as, as we operationalize our love in, in, the, in the lives of other people, that, that we look at that and we say, is this for their good? What is my motive in doing this? Why do we do it? So Paul continues. He says this, let me give you a model. He says, for even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. So he says, look at Christ. All right, look at this Christ who, who has led the way for us, the, the one who gives us a picture of what this actually looks like to understand that, that even those who have insulted us, those who have, have kind of thrown those things at me, the good news is it's going to be less slippery when we walk out this morning. <laughs> it's good. Um, the second service reaps the benefit of that, of that call there. Um, so, uh, but Christ as our example, that, that Christ leading the way for us, Christ that, 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 that takes on those insults, those things that, that come our way, that, that feel like setbacks, that feel like people hating on us and, 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 and kind of like criticizing and, and, and dragging us down, that, that Christ says, look, I've taken that on for you. That those insults, as, they, as, these, as, as this community is, is operating within a culture that's unfriendly and a culture that doesn't get them, He's saying, look, all the things that are being thrown at you, all the things that, that have come your way, all those setbacks, all those harsh words, all those things that, that, are, that are, have been spoken as insults to you have fallen on me. To understand that Christ is not just our example, that, that Christ is our Savior, that he has taken on for us, that we don't just look to him as an example, but we look to him as one who has stepped in our place, that, is, that has taken the hits for us. And then Paul writes this, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, that we might have hope. He speaks of endurance, to, to, to speak of looking at scripture as, as not just a, a collection of things that we should believe, but as, as stories of those who have gone before us in the faith, stories of people who have lived faithfully, have, who have navigated difficult things, who have led the way for us. To understand that as we study scripture, that we, that we become potentially more aware of the, of the gap that exists between who we are and the, and the lives that we're living and the ideal that God is calling us to. But we also see endurance in scriptures where we see people who also experience that gap, who also live in that gap, that also live in that tension, that, 
that are, that are moved forward, that we can look from the middle of our story and be able to see someone's complete story to understand that where they were and where God brought them to is, is better. And so we can look at our lives and we can understand that God might want to do the same thing or God wants to do the same thing in us. So to understand endurance means that we endure, that we pray for strength, that, that, we, pers- that we persist in the pursuit that we endure, and then we find encouragement through scriptures, that we stand with believers from across time and across the world, that, that we get to get a glimpse of what God has done, that we get to see, that we get to see that Christianity, that, that following Jesus, that living in the Jesus way is not just something that we believe, but it's something that we live, that, it, that it's a way of living, that it's, that it's more than just something that we memorize on, on the page of our Bible, that we look and we study or we hear about on a Sunday morning, but it's an invitation to a way of living. And we see that, maybe if we can't see it in our own lives, and maybe we don't have good examples all the time around us of what that looks like. But we can look at scriptures, we can look at those who have gone before us, and understand that that Christianity is more than just something to be believed. It's a living force. And then Paul says this, that, that so through endurance and hope taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Right, that there is an outcome that, that comes from, from actually looking and listening, from actually learning from those who have gone before us. That the outcome is hope, and hope has two ingredients. We spent time looking at hope last week, but hope has two ingredients. It's hardship and it's, and it's encouragement. Right? That, it's, that it's hardship, but we wouldn't need hope if things, were already, if things already made sense. We wouldn't need hope if there wasn't tension. Right? We wouldn't need hope if there weren't setbacks. We wouldn't need hope if there wasn't pain, if there wasn't darkness. We wouldn't need hope. But hope is hardship and encouragement, or to put it in the framework of, of this particular passage, it's, it's endurance and anticipation. Understanding that we endure, not just to endure or just for endurance sake, but, but we endure towards something that's better. And so then Paul speaks this blessing over, over this church that he's writing this letter to, and, and that, the blessing continues to echo for us today. In verse 5 he says this, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and with one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful blessing. It's one of those blessings that you, you look and you're like, if I could just be true. Right? If you could take like, one passage of, of Scripture and just pray that over our lives, pray that over the, the life of this church to say, may this be true here. It's, it's a kind of blessing that, um, that sounds a little bit like Paul is calling us to something. It's like when a parent is like, you know, you're really good at this, but um, man, here's like within this kind of encouragement, here's an encouragement to even do better. Does that make sense? It's like, here's a compliment, but, but man, can you imagine if you, if you really leaned in on that thing? If you could just really kind of like get after and posture yourself to, to really maximize what that actually looks like. So he says, may, may God give you endurance and encouragement. And then he says, and not just that, may he give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, that he's, he's calling them forward. He's not just, just kind of like hoping for them to be blessed. But he's saying, may the blessing actually impact the way you live. May the blessing actually impact the way you relate to each other. So with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord. That through Christ, not just through our efforts of unification, not just through our efforts of kind of like keeping peace among ourselves, but, but to mutually submit ourselves to God and to allow that thing to, to allow that to be the thing that keeps us unified. And then the outcome, right? If one outcome is hope, the, the outcome of this blessing, the outcome of this way of living is, is that we glorify God. 
that what we do is for the glory of God, that, that with one voice, with, with the, the, the relationship that we have with, with each other, with the unity that we have, the, the love expressed within a community gives glory, not just to the community, not just to this local church, not just in kind of in general to people, but gives glory to God. That love, that love is an act of worship, right? Because it gives glory to God. And so Paul then continues in verse seven, he says this, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. That if, that if love is an act of worship that brings glory to God, if, if love, as Paul says in verse 7, is an act of worship that, that brings praise to God, then love is also an act of remembrance. Because he's saying, look, when you love, right, when you love people, maybe that are even hard to love, people that, that are a, a long way off from where they should be, when you love in that kind of way, you remember that God loved you like that that God met you in that kind of condition, that when you love someone who, who is difficult for you to love, when you love someone that, that, that is difficult to accept, that, that when you accept them, when you understand what that looks like, when you, when you practice that kind of remembrance, then you remember what Christ did for you. So love is not just an act of worship, but it's an act of remembrance, remembering that we're, that we're not saving each other, right? That we, we don't accept people into our community and, and, and that is, is an act of salvation for them, but we're, we're showing in tangible ways that God loves them, that God is loving through us, that, that we're a people accepted by God. For some of us, there are moments in life where we just need to see it, right? That, that we can read it or we can hear it and, and we can understand that, that, that God loves us. But until we experience what that feels like, until we experience what, what it feels like for someone to not just love us, to, to have a sort of affection towards us, but to actually accept us right where we're at, with all the mess, with all the junk, with, with everything that, that we bring to the equation, to, to be loved and accepted like that. Sometimes we just need to get a glimpse of that. Right? Sometimes we just need to see it to understand that we have been welcomed by Christ so that we can welcome others, that, that, the grace has been, that the grace that's been extended to us, that we turn and reflect that as best as we can. Which again, leads us to bringing glory and praise to God. That all of this is for God's glory and for our good, for the good of those around us. And so this morning, we are called we are called to choose love, right? Last week, we, we were invited to choose hope, and maybe some of us are still wrestling with that question, with, with are we willing to do that, with, with all the trappings, with all the layers that that looks like. But this morning, we look, and for some of us, we need to choose. We need to, to, to take an opportunity to say, I choose love. We are called to choose love, but not just the, the definition that our culture, that, that we would provide for ourselves, what love looks like, but a specific definition of love, one that, uh, we choose love that's without condition, uh, but on a mission, that's, that's on mission, that we love people, right? that we love each other that, uh, in, right where we are, that we understand that, that without condition, that, that when someone enters into a relationship with us, that, that we express the love that, that God expressed to us, that, that the, the love that Christ extended to us through his life was, was without condition, but it, but it also had a purpose, or it also had a mission that, that would move us forward. And so for us to understand and to live in that tension of loving people right where they are and then loving each other to where we should be, to understand what it looks like for us to get that right, to understand what it looks like for us as a people, as a church, to, to get right that, that we love people, right? Not just people in this community, but we love people, everybody, right where they are. 
but then we love each other, right? This, this specific community, this, this specific community that's built around a purpose of helping each other grow, of, of journeying together closer and closer and closer to the life that God has called us to, that, that once we enter into that kind of relationship, when, when the relationship moves from kind of like connection to actually journeying together, that, that we love people where they are and we love each other to where we should be. Our tendency we don't get this right, right? The, the direction, the gravitational pull that takes us off the mark on this is our tendency is to get this backwards, right? That we, that we love people if they would get to where they, we think they should be, right? And then we love each other without condition, which means that we love each other without any sort of mission, that we love each other right where we're at, but we don't actually help people move forward, that, that we try and get other people, people outside of this community to where they should be so that we can love them, and then we leave each other right where they are, right? Which is a recipe for frustration, which is, a, which is a recipe for us not moving forward, for us not having favor in our community, for us not connecting with people in meaningful kinds of ways. We choose love without condition, but with a particular kind of mission that, that Jesus gave us a specific priority to love God and to love others, which means that we are compelled to draw those two things together. That if we're called to love God, if we're called to, to love people, then the, our love for God should, should mean that we embrace the mission that God had and our love for people should, should mean that, that we look at, at people and we say, what would it look like for them to be connected in a meaningful way with God, that, to be connected in a transformational way with God? And, and we're gonna do everything we can to bring the two together, to understand that Jesus gave us that specific priority. So we choose, to, we choose love without condition, but on mission, we, we choose love as embodied in Jesus Christ, that, that Jesus Christ was, was sent by love, that he was compelled by love, that to understand Jesus, John three sixteen, one of the most memorized verses in the Bible says this, that for God so loved the world that he sent his son, that the mission was driven by love. And so we're called to choose love as embodied in Jesus Christ, to understand that love was the mission that, that compelled Jesus to, to come and reconcile the world with God. And so then we live like Jesus. We, we, we're called to be like Jesus, that we're never more like Jesus than when we love each other, when we love people, when, when our actions are driven by love and when our love points people to God. So we choose love as embodied in Jesus Christ. We choose love we choose love that invites us to unity, right? We choose love that invites us to unity, which, which means that we, we are a community of people with Christ at the center, that we're not simply saying that we, we're gonna have this kind of like false sense of connection, this false sense of, of keeping peace among us, but saying with Christ at the center of this community, if, 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 if we chase after him, if that becomes the glue that holds us together, then that becomes the thing that shapes this community, that we are unified, we're unified by the direction of movement, not necessarily by kind of like certain preferences and, and, and all that kind of thing that we just have kept peace. But we're unified by the common pursuit of Jesus Christ, that with Christ at the center, that we chase after him, that, that we're a community marked by that, that we choose love that, that invites us to that kind of way of living. That the community that we're a part of, this, this local church brings glory to God, brings glory to God through the way that we treat each other where there's only one explanation, right? As you talk of what it looked like for someone on the outside in the early years of the church, in the early years of Christianity, to look and say, look, I can make an argument against all the arguments that they have. I can figure out a way to, to argue them down and, and argue their positions, but I just can't get my head around the way they care for each other, the way that they love each other, right? For us to be that kind of community, for us to be that kind of people, that the only way to understand it is that there's something different about us, 
That it's not just that we figured out a way to kind of like change our behaviors or modify our behaviors so we have this kind of false sense of, 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 of peace among us. But to say these are a people who step in the gap for people, who, who stand in the gap and, and deal with the tension and get into the messy stuff of people's lives because they care so much about each other. There's only one explanation, and that's Jesus Christ at work in us and among us. And so the question is, how do we get there, right? If that's what we're called to, if that's the bullseye, if that's the target, if, if that's the direction that we're called to live, how do we get there? We choose love. And choosing love is a process. It's, it's one that's defined by Jesus, one that's, one that's driven by hope, right? Hope is endurance and anticipation. Love, choosing love is a process. It starts with love being revealed. It starts with love is revealed, which means that we begin to see something that maybe we've never seen before. That for the people that were anticipating the very first Christmas, to, to see Christ revealed, to, to see the love of God made, <laughs> like made flesh and blood and dwelling among them, to understand the impact of, of Christ in relationship with us, to understand what love actually looks like. That, that's a healthy definition of love, a, a definition of love that, that actually takes us somewhere, that's actually meaningful, that, that cuts through the lies that, that we tell ourselves, that cuts through the lies of what culture would tell us, that, to understand that, that love is revealed. For some of us, that means that we need to spend some time looking. We need to spend some time listening. We need to, to spend some time understanding what love actually looks like. We have such a broken definition. We've, we've been manipulated, we've, we've been messed with, and we don't understand what love actually looks like for us to get before God and say, God, I'm going to need you to teach me. God, would you show me what love is actually like? For some of us, maybe we need to, to look in Scripture and, and spend time listening to, to, to what Jesus says about love and the way that he operates and to understand what, what his life looked like, to understand love is revealed, right? And then love is received for us to understand that, that we don't just try and figure out how to choose love. It's a process of, of understanding what it is that we're actually choosing and, and then going through a process of, of receiving that, right? of actually taking that on to, to say, I'm going to choose to accept the love that has been extended to me. I'm going to choose to trust that when God says that he loves me, when, when God speaks in those kinds of terms, when, when Jesus Christ speaks about people in a certain kind of way, that, that I can understand that that's not just a general statement, but that's, that's true of me too that I receive the love that has been poured out for me, that I accept it. Love is revealed, love is received, then love transforms, right? Love calls us, it meets us where we are, but then moves us forward, that, that there's a mission that, that's associated with it, that there's transformation that's associated with it that, that calls us forward. And so we don't rush to just change behavior, we don't rush to just those outward signs of, of God at work in our lives, we we walk through this process, that we, that we have eyes to see what God's doing, that we learn and we listen and we trust, and then we receive what God is doing. And then we allow this, this love of God to transform us, this, this love to actually move us forward in relationship with him. And then it doesn't stop there, right? It's not just that, that we have for our benefit and for our good now receive the love of God, that then love is then expressed into the world around us, right? That love is expressed through us. So love is revealed, love is received, love transforms, and then love is expressed, right? It's this kind of the, the, the fullness of the process. As, as God has done in us powerful things, as God has done in us transformative kinds of things, as, as we journey closer and closer and closer to the heart of God, as we, as we allow that to mark our lives, then it should mark the lives of those around us. And so, may the God 
who gives endurance and encouragement, give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had. So with one mind and with one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you. God, thank you for the love poured out. God, for the way that you met us right where we are. God, for the way that you invite us into a better way of living. God, I pray that as we imagine with you, prayerfully imagine with you what life could look like as we, as we make the kinds of choices that you're offering to us in this season of anticipation. God, I pray that for those of us who, who have heard and now have a choice to make, God, I pray that maybe you, you, you'd soften the hearts that, that need to be softened. God, that you'd open, eye, you'd open eyes that need to be opened. God, that you give us a, a picture of what you're calling us to. God, thank you for meeting us here. God, thank you for loving us to where we should be. And so we pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.